to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast about infertility and different pathways to parenthood. I'm your host and local infertility sleuth, Millie Brooks. Today's show is very special as we have returning guest Carrie Hoskins on. You probably remember Carrie from episode 63, Finding a Surrogate, as she walked us through her process of finding and working with a gestational carrier. And now she's back on the show today to talk about letting go of control during the journey to parenthood. Welcome back, Carrie. Hi, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate everything that you do already. And the fact that I get to be part of it, I feel honored. Oh, it, it, it was lovely talking to you the first round. And so I'm so glad we found another topic that we can kind of unpack mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Um, last time you were here, you were going to enter another transfer um, with your surrogate, with another embryo. Um, give us an update on where things are right now. So very timely. We had not trans. We're transferring in about seven days. Uh, we holy yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's it's happening soon. Um, oh my gosh! Our Becca, our gestational carrier. Um, had some like no some of her numbers were off not like just to be clear not to be like uh if you were a normal person this wouldn't matter but since she's doing this for us our clinic is very strict about her numbers so they put her on some medication and she's where she's supposed to be and we are transferring in as of now seven days just monitoring her body oh my gosh (laughs) crazy to think about. And it's interesting because this, as of now, we have, my husband, Brad, and I have decided like, we're not making a decision until we know more. We think this is going to be our last bit of trying to conceive because it's been seven years. I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of not having control, which we will get into. And Mm -hmm. uh, we kind of just want to do what's best for our mental health. And that's going to be where it's going to be. We're really hoping this is our baby and that this baby decides to stay with us. And Becca can bake the baby in her warm, loving oven. But uh, we are... So I feel like I like to say, like, I feel like I'm on the fence and I've been on the fence for seven years and I'm getting splinters in my crotch. And I, oh, my God. Carrie. <laughs> I need I need to get off the fence. <laughs> the fence is hurting me. Yes. yes. It, it, oh one my. side, one side is parenthood and one side is childless. So um, but I, I need to I need to get off the fence. Yes. I think that's so beautiful how you've come to how you've I don't know you've you sound very confident and and knowing that this is the right thing for you. Thank God for um, therapy. That's where that comes yes. from. <laughs> okay, so you've come to this conclusion with a lot of help and a lot of thought. Yes. I'm sure. Yes, yes, absolutely. And we know there are many other pathways that people always bring up as you know. And mm-hmm. we, I, I use the fence analogy a lot because it's like, you know how awful that would feel. That's how I feel. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I think once you, I don't know, once you sort of claim it for yourself and, um, you know, decide where the buck stops, mm-hmm. it can be really empowering. Oh, absolutely. And again, I want to stress who knows how we'll feel later. Maybe we're going to want four more kids. I don't know what that's going to look like. But as of now, this is the space that feels stable and healthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I know that when we were when we talked last, you did sort of weigh up the idea of adoption. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That, that did come up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where you guys are at right now, you're just, you're not really fully there right Right. right now. Right. Like, we're just tired of waiting. And, like, I mean, we feel very lucky and honestly privileged that, like, we have the money to do the adoption if need be. But that's not – it just sounds, like it, – it just sounds exhausting. And um, I, I've i been exhausted for seven years in this area. So I'm looking forward to feel, like I said, a bit more stable and just secure. And kind of – I feel like I've been waiting for the other shoe to drop for so long that I'm ready to – catch the baby or start another 
view of our life. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful, Carrie. (laughs) And a lot of that has to do, I feel like, with me taking control of my life, of being like, okay, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta figure this out because I was so mentally unhealthy, unwell for a long time that I don't want to be back in that space. And that takes a lot of work. Yeah. Well, it definitely, I mean, this whole thing, it definitely just drives you, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, you th- I think you think about it all the time. This is like, you know, the planning of, oh, in so-and-so months and, oh, this is going to happen then and things like that. And that's, it's just a lot to like always have that in the back of your brain. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to just, um, before we dovetail into, mm-hmm. um, th- I mean, this perfectly, this is a great segue into our topic of control. Um, we're just going to take a brief pause while I tell my husband to stop vacuuming. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, just everybody hang tight. <laughs> Okay, we're back. We're back. Um, Saturday, we're this is a sat. We're mm-hmm. recording on a Saturday. Saturdays are cleaning days yep. around the house. Um, you know, you see something, you have the time to just kind of yep. tackle it. Um, God bless him. <laughs> right, I was gonna say like at least it's like a good thing he's doing. <laughs> Not that he wouldn't, but, you know, you're like, hey, I'm doing something. I know. <laughs> like, I love the initiative. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So let's talk about control. Mm-hmm. Um, in your life, how and where did you first discover the feeling of control? First of all, such a good question. I had to, like, really sit with that. I was like, I don't. No, because in general, I've been, I'm a pretty laid back person. I don't often like feel the need for control. Well, we'll get into that in a bit. But like as a kid, um, I have an older stepbrother who's seven years older than me. So when I was little, we didn't really hang out. I mean, we, we did, but also like, I thought he was the coolest person in the world. He did not feel the same way about me. So I had a lot of my own alone time. So I controlled a lot of what I did, how I played, the toys that I had. Like it was a very, I got to make those decisions on my own a lot. And I liked that feeling. Um, And kind of growing up, I, I, I never felt like a type A, you know, like, oh, things have to be in order. I mean, I like organizational skills, but if you like side view of my desk, that's not how I work. <laughs> it's not I don't do my best shout work. out to the Lindsay Fisher challenge yes. back in was yes. it January I'm not sure yes that was a good oh, one I do remember your before and after mm-hmm. of your desk mm-hmm. and thinking to myself damn she did a number on that it's just how it's how I work like right now it's it's a disaster, but I know where things are. It makes me feel comfortable. When things are actually put away, I'm like, where is everything? Like that's <laughs> that's exactly how I work. And then when I got into teaching, it's pretty stereotypical that teachers are like control freaks. I was not that person. Like I was definitely like the more relaxed teacher. And I mean, obviously we had rules and things to follow, but the nice thing about teaching the kids that I taught is that we kept our classroom organized, but they were in charge of it, you know? Like, I would, like, take a picture and be like, this is how it's supposed to be, so y'all take care of it. And they would, because that gives, like, kids ownership. And I never really felt like I didn't have control in my life until infertility. And so I think when that, like, reality kind of slapped me in the face, and then I, like, started sitting with it, and I was like, oh, control isn't real, in general, like I, we don't have control of anything and well, a few things, but like, so growing up and being a young adult, I never really felt like, oh, things are in control. But on the flip side of that, I was marking off the milestones of my life that I had imagined. I got married. I became a teacher. I met like an amazing partner. I, you know, we bought a house, like all of these things were coming in. And then when the, oh, let's make a baby came in, it was like, oh, wow, we, we can't do that. 
Mm-hmm. And so that was like the first real in my like brain really to hit me of like, oh, this is going to be difficult. And then that's when I started spinning out of control a few years in, I think, with like anxiety and what expectations I thought I was going to have and things like that. Mm. I can totally relate to that stuff, especially, I mean, it's bringing me back to my own journey when it doesn't matter how hard you try at something. Right, right. Right, like it doesn't, you're not kicking the ball down the field mm-hmm. And I love anymore. goals. I love like checking yeah. off things. I'm really good at like, this is how I'm going to get to step seven. Yes, yes. And infertility's not like that. And so that was really, really hard for me to be like, wait, what? I did all the steps and I'm still not a mother. Like it was, it's still hard for me to think about sometimes of like, wow, look at all that effort we put into this. And we did not get what we were trying to get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's really, that's really profound. I think that it's very, um, you know, Again, going back to my own journey, I see myself like completely in this tunnel vision Mm -hmm. of control. Like it's just a tunnel and there's no windows and there's barely any air circulating Mm -hmm. and you're just trying to like move forward, you know, in any way you know possible. And you're trying all these different, all these different things, different protocols, different um, supplements, different, mm. uh, so many different things. Which makes you feel in control with all those Which things. Which makes <laughs> you feel in control. <laughs> yes. And it's an illusion. Yes. Yes. Like literally timing the shots of when you give yourself the shots, you're injecting yourself with medication. You feel very in control. I never thought I'd ever be giving myself a shot of anything. And there I am. I was like, look how strong I am. I'm controlling this. And then it was, not the intended outcome. Yeah, yeah. Um, at what points have you felt liberated by giving up control? So again, I'm going to plug therapy because thank goodness for my therapist. I really developed a lot of depression and anxiety through infertility. I never had really it before. I mean, maybe bouts, but nothing this intense. And... um when I finally like started going to therapy consistently, especially one that really helped me with our infertility issues, um, I got really into meditation. I became like a meditation teacher and that really, through that, it really helped me let go. And again, it's a practice. I'm not meditating daily these days, but like I have those tools in my belt where I can be like, oh yeah, this is how like what illusion or control is an illusion. And I can like kind of go back to those sayings. And with that came a huge part of acceptance. And I I think a big turning point in my life with control was losing Clementine and delivering her stillborn at eight months and not letting it like ruin my life. Because I saw that that could be a pathway. Like, it was like, of Mm, course it could be a pathway. mm. I know people that that's been a pathway, and I get it. But when I, when, you know, like, even when I was in the hospital, but I remember thinking, we're going to be okay. And, like, accepting that, okay, our daughter died, and I'm going to be okay. And having that acceptance and okayness in me was, like, really fucking letting go of control. And like, it just threw me into this depth of like, you have to appreciate anything that you can in your life. And that's kind of how I live now. Like, you know, today my husband doesn't have work and we were like, oh my God, we have a day off together. And it's like, this such a sweet thing that we probably would have taken for granted. And I don't want to say like, oh, you need a gratitude journal and you have to do that every day. But just it, it flipped a switch in me that really helped me be super grateful for the things that are already going well in my life. I love, I mean, that's, that's beautiful because Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I do think about like, there is one of two ways that things could go after something like that, you know, and um, it could really, 
I mean, I have seen women completely, oh my gosh, um, lose themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like completely just, there is, you know... I, I mean, I just I'm I'm thinking of them as just gray. You mm-hmm. know, there's no the colors are stripped away from mm-hmm. their life. You know, um, and and when you like, when did you feel that moment of like I'm just gonna release this? Honestly, pretty quickly. Like it all. Like I even get chills thinking about like how fast it happened. Like they came in and told us there was no heartbeat. We cried for like thirty minutes. And then I was like, all right, what do we do? And I remember lying there in the hospital bed and talking to my husband saying, we have to find something that we're grateful for. And he was like, I don't want to do that right now. And I was like, no. (gasps) Yes, I remember (laughs) that. Yes, I remember you saying that. And like, it was just like in me. It was like, there was this weird drive inside of me of like, nope, something's good. Something good is happening. And and we did. We started listing things. Like, we had TV in the room, which not all the rooms had TV. So we were like, oh, we've got TV. And my mom happened to be there. Like, I'm so glad my mom's here. And, like, having just little tiny things. Because those are the things that really add up to make your life great. And, again, it was like a slap of a slap in the face of, like, you have no control. Because we thought we were there, you know? Like, we did IVF. We were eight months pregnant. We thought we were there. And then having that getting just, like, punched in the gut it was like oh wow we literally have no idea there are no guarantees mm. you just have to figure out how to be okay with what you have wow wow I just want to like sit in that for a second <laughs> like that's so true Carrie and I think that um <clears throat> it sounds to me like you did a lot of work even before that moment Mm-hmm, absolutely. And like, I remember I had met up because I, anytime, especially in the first year after losing Clementine, I like just raced to anybody who had had been through that to be like, how are you dealing with this? And I remember one woman asked me, were you this strong before? And I said, that's a really good question. And I had done a ton of work, a ton of work, almost not necessarily intentionally, but I feel like I was setting myself up to build this foundation just in case I needed to fall back on it for any reason. And I had done a lot of, like I had started uh, working in support groups and I became a support group leader for women. And then when I think we were hit with this, it was like, oh, wow, I have the tools for this. And it does, it didn't see, I mean, obviously it was devastating. It still is, but I, I just knew it was going to be okay because I was like, no, I've worked with people that have dealt with major things in their life. I can do this. Wow. Wow, that, that, I mean, talk about goosebumps. <laughs> I mean, that's really sitting in your own power right there. You know, that's really profound. Um, what has helped you let go of expectations surrounding how you imagined things would go? I mean, the main one is probably meditation. I, this class that I took, I remember they talked about, and this is I don't want to get too deep or gory, but I remember one of the teachers said, meditation is just preparing you for death. That's all it is. It's preparing you to just accept that you're going to die. The people you love are going to die. You don't know when that's going to be. And that, and this was a long time ago I took that course. And that like stuck with me because I was like, yeah, death is scary. And after experiencing losing Clementine and other people in our lives, I kind of have, I'm in the space of like, I mean, I'm still afraid of death, but not in the same way that I used to be. Mm. And it it really opened up acceptance. I was just taking a yoga class online the other day too. And they said the same thing. They said, yoga is getting you ready for death. And I was like, why is this like message keep coming to me? But I think it's because as humans, we don't want to die. And it's like one of everyone's biggest fears. So like, how can we get more comfortable with that? And I'm not saying I'm looking forward to dying, but it's... Or how can we control it? How can we control the story? How can we control the narrative? Yes. Yeah. Because a lot of it, a lot of my anxiety for me was like what people thought of me for a long time, especially when like all my friends started getting pregnant And I was like, oh my God, like I'm not part of, I used to think that like motherhood was this club that I couldn't get into. And it was like, oh my God, I want to be in there so bad. I'm like losing my friends. And then it was like, whoa. I mean, looking back on now, I'm like, I needed to just 
be okay with where I was. I'm be okay with where I am. And even if you do lose, lose friends, you're going to meet other people and they're on different paths. And also some friends are going to, you're going to stay friends with them even when they have kids. So like allowing those, I guess like hurdles to not be the worst thing in the world and not looking at it in a way of, Oh my God, this isn't, this isn't what I thought. Cause though I, I remember in therapy, my therapist was like, this is a long time ago. And she said, I feel like the hardest part for you is letting go of the life you thought you were, you were going to live. And I was like mm. a thousand percent. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I spent all day doing that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the time <laughs> right? that I have put into trying to rearrange my past, you know, yes, it's pretty intense. And like, we can't change the past. And I like to, like, I've done a lot of stupid things. I'm going to do more stupid things. That's what happens. But the more you can like give yourself grace for like, you were doing the best that you could at the time that you knew is something that I really hold on to. I like to say like, you can't be old and wise unless you were young and stupid because you won't, Mm. you got to make those mistakes. You got to you know, like date the wrong people and wear the wrong outfit and try out or uh, interview for that job and get it and be like, oh, this is not what I want and be able Mm. to leave it and put yourself out there enough to fail to kind of get comfortable with that failure, which is real tough. Oh, gosh. And yeah. And I feel like, um, well, me personally, I hate failure. I, I just want to sit in a safety box with like caution tape around it for the rest of my life, you know, and yes. that's not a life worth living. Right. You know, um, and it also, again, like there's so much about that existence is control. You know, I want to control the way people perceive me. I want to control the way um, my life plays out. You know, and and again, that kind of limits how how ambitious mm-hmm. you can get, mm-hmm. you know? I think about that in the classroom a lot with kids. And that was a big lesson for me teaching was like, okay, so like I can teach you how to do this problem or make this piece of art, but like you're going to do it your own way. And that was one of my favorite parts about teaching is that it got so creative in that way. And I had to let let go of control. Like I would see, I used, I always used to joke of like, I I used to teach with one of my best friends, and she and I would be able to see each other like through the windows. And there was another teacher that would take her kids, and they, her kids were always walking in like a straight line. My kids were <laughs> oh, never gosh. in a straight line. They were never in a straight line because that wasn't my priority. And my best friend was the same way. And she'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. We're like going by your classroom and it's loud. And I'm like, honestly, it makes me feel good because that's totes my kids. Like where I'm like, just want to make sure we all feel safe and loved. Not in a line. (laughs) Single file is not our number one. No, it's not. And like, you know, especially because I got a lot of kids with uh, different issues to where like, you know, they had to be out of line or like crying in the corner, which was like, it's fine. Just keep moving with us. You know, you're welcome to cry and you can stand off to the side, but you got to stay with the group. And Mm -hmm. those, that was my demographic, which I loved because it was like, oh yeah, I cry all the time too. Just, I stay with the group though as well. So like living in that space of, I don't know, I'm not in control of these kids. And obviously like we had rules in the classroom but it was also kind of funny too because with that attitude as teaching when i would when i would get upset kids would be like oh whoa she's she's never upset and it was like see mm. see what's happening like mm. <laughs> well and i'm sure they took it very seriously like it landed a little bit more you know yes it was a little bit more heavy yes and i would get like you know people i you know if someone was doing the wrong thing i'd be like oh is that the right choice and i remember like one of uh, someone observing me was like, well, you shouldn't ask them if that's the right choice. You should just tell them what the choice is. And I was like, absolutely not. That is not how I teach. They need to like think of it themselves. <laughs> mm, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. I'm still like marinating on this whole like um, concept of death, you yes, know? Yes, Because I, I, I want to just circle back around absolutely. to that. Because, um, you know, I've shared about um, 
my own personal experience with death on the podcast, losing my mom, Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, losing my grandma after, which was very trippy. Um, And I'm reminded of this, as you were talking, this one phrase came to my mind, which was, I don't know where it comes from, but um, some genius, clearly. Um, (laughs) But it's let go or get dragged. Oh, yes. You know? And I I just like... Absolutely. Like, it makes me think, like, that instantly made me think of, like, I feel like I was drugged through the ringer with infertility. Like, that's mm-hmm. just drugged mm-hmm. through it, like, pulled and yanked and cried and pushed and shoved off edges where I was like, whoa, I didn't expect that. But then, again, yeah. with losing Clementine, it, it, especially when I lost her, like, I started really researching, like life after death and spirits and things like that, because I needed some, I needed to make sure that she was okay. Like that in my head, I Mm. wanted to make sure that she was okay. And it's interesting too, because my husband doesn't believe in any of that, but he's always been like, you do you, whatever makes you feel better. And I read this book called journey to the souls. I think it's called. And Mm. it flipped a switch on me to where I was like, okay, dying doesn't hurt. Uh, they're okay. And, um, they check in, they're around, they might not be around, but like, again, it's out of your control. But the main thing that I got it from was that like it, she, when she died, she wasn't hurt and she's okay. Oh, that's love. I mean, that would bring me a lot of peace. Yes. Yes. It like, and I still, like, I go back to the book. It's one of the books that I go back to often where I'm like, I'm just going to read a chapter and it makes me feel connected. And I've had like, many like spirit guide readings and things like that. And I mean, even if I believe in it or not, it makes me feel better. And I think that's, I mean, that's like, that's what religion is, you know, like that's why yeah, it's all about making you feel better. Yes. It's like why we hold on to these traditions and ways of being to feel like we're in control of that. Like we know what happens. And like, you know, I've, I've heard tons of time of like being born is like dying same idea. Like, you know, like you don't remember it. It doesn't hurt. And like, you're, tra- you're super scared to do it. And you're transformed into this brand new space where you have to learn all these new things again. Mm. Wow. Wow, Carrie. <laughs> Carrie, if you taught a class on death and dying, I would take it. Oh my gosh. Okay, speaking of that, the one of I'm going to plug this other podcast I've listened to twice in the last week. It's called Ologies. Hmm. And it's about I've never I honestly I've never heard any other uh podcast on from them, but I was recommend this one on Oh gosh, I hope I'm saying the word right. Phantonology. It's the study of death and dying. I don't know if that's how you say it, but. Oh, wow. This woman, she's a very cool, hip, fun woman. She has like a mohawk with green, curly hair. (laughs) She's so fun. Studies death and dying and talks about it. And it was one of the best podcasts I've ever heard in my life because she studies when people die, what happens. And she's like, really, I'm studying the living and how they respond to it because that's the hardest part is the living and oh yes and like how people respond to that and I think about like with hospice and just being in that it's a really emotionally charged space that again you don't really have control over and you're kind of just waiting and it's heavy. And a lot of times we don't know how to process those really intense emotions and the people that spend their time around it are in my opinion, I've met quite a few and I'm always like, oh, wow, like you do this for a living. And they're like, I have just always been kind of called to it. And the grace and beauty that I've seen people bring to those situation is pretty astounding. Oh my gosh. I mean, when my mom was at, in hospice, mm-hmm. like all of the nurses, all of the, you know, Anybody in palliative care, I feel, is like, whoa, you are supernatural. Mm -hmm. There's something special about you. There's something real special about Mm -hmm. you. Um, and you, and they are very, yeah, they're just they're they're people that have 
have come to terms with their own mortality right. too. Yes, I think that's a huge part of it because like you're doing this as a job and you're so you know this is going to happen to you in a in a way. So I think when you're around that, it makes it a little bit easier and more, you know, comprehensible. I remember when my grandma was dying because she lived with us and we had hospice and my family, God bless them, bless their hearts. They're a disaster in a lot of ways. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember thinking to these nurses, oh my goodness, I feel like I need to apologize. Like this is embarrassing and oh the nurse gosh I had the same <laughs> the same this exact same thoughts went through my head <laughs> at hospice I was like I feel like I need to slip these nurses a $20 yes! bill oh my gosh because <laughs> like I feel so bad and they were, and I remember like talking to the nurses and then being like, this is normal. Like, it's fine. And I'm like, how are you calm right now? Like, do you see what my aunt is doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh my but there was this, I remember, because my grandmother and I did not get along growing up. Um, we were kept away from each other for important reasons. And when she was older, she had dementia and she didn't remember who I was. But when she got dementia, she was very kind to me. And I remember one day I went to visit her and she asked who I was. And I told her, I just said, I'm Carrie. It's nice to meet you. Cause they were like, don't try to say you're her granddaughter. Don't want to freak her out. And she said, well, goodness gracious. I, I just feel like I love you and you're beautiful. And she had never said that to me my whole life. And I went outside and sat on the porch and cried. And the hospice nurse came out and was like, honey, you keep that. That is your grandma still. You keep that. And that's her saying that to you. And I was like, who are you? You're like an angel yourself coming <laughs> to like guide me through this. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, I even think about like the, cause I, I get a lot of, especially when I talk about Clementine dying, people saying like, oh, well, you know, my so-and-so had a life. They lived this life. And with Clementine, sh- we lost the dreams, you know, we lost the future, but there is something also, I mean, she taught me so much. Obviously she still is people that I don't even know. Talk to me about her. So there is something that's like bigger than that. And when we were in the hospital, the staff, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they did it. And just like they were in labor and delivery. So it's not like palliative care, but I know that's part of it. But the grace that they would bring, it was, it's something that like we still talk about of how loved we felt by strangers. Mm, Wow. 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 That gives me chills. That gives me chills. Cause the, you know, those moments when you are so, when you're just so desperate for like anything, you know, you're just, you just want somebody to hold you Mm -hmm. and, and they did, they helped. Yeah. And cradle your emotions. Yes. And again, that's like, cause when I think about like control And like having everything in order to be like in a way that you want comfortable. In my mind, that's like, oh, does that mean that like because I'm actively taking like goals seriously? And why? Why am I doing that? Like, why do we need that? Is it because that makes us feel loved? Because I think in general, as humans, we just want to feel loved, be loved, spread that emotion. So why is control such a like heavy part of it? And I... Think about like being in that hospital bed and being like, we have no control in this situation. And, but still feeling that like, like they would ask us questions like, you know, do you want to hold your baby? And I was like, I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know. I can't answer that question. They must've asked me that 20 times, which is a val- they, a good question. And they kind of forced me to do it, which I'm super glad they did because I have that. But like, it's that just wanting to feel loved and be loved Mm. And I feel like when you're out of control, you feel like there that that isn't part of it. You know, like, oh my gosh, no one loves me. People are looking at me this way. They're wondering why I don't have a kid. Do I tell them my story? Like it's this needing to like please people to be like, no, I'm a good person. Where it's like, no, no, we know you're like, I mean, we don't even need to know you're a good person. You know, like that's not 
Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, it does. And what it's bringing to my mind is like this idea that, you know, it's so important to me that when people come over to my house, things look mm-hmm. a certain way, you know, but then at the end of my life, is that what I want to be remembered for? <laughs> Her, you know, her house sure was vacuumed all the time. She had no dust. She, the, her surf, all of her surfaces were clean. You know, like that's not what I want my legacy to be. Right. You know, but somehow in that moment of whatever I need, maybe it is love, validation, mm-hmm. understanding, like approval. You know, I think that I will somehow the path to those things is through control, like through vacuuming, through organizing, through putting the laundry away. You know what I mean? And I was, I just like, that was also another, that was kind of the, I guess that was the chemical makeup of of my household growing up too, like things needed to really look a certain way. It didn't matter if they were beautiful, but as long as things looked beautiful and pretty and put together, mm-hmm. that was more important, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then like, you know, we all, move on from our house of origin and discover our own values, I, you know, realized that like, that is not, that's not a value that I hold dear. Mm -hmm. Like this perspective, like how people perceive me and controlling that perspective is not important to me anymore. Mm -hmm. And that can be really liberating. Yeah. Like when did you feel that? When, because I know with that came through for infertility with me. You know, I feel, I feel like there's been a lot of moments, lessons in life where that has come up. Like infertility was one of them. I feel like I just keep getting reminded mm-hmm. <laughs> of it. Um, like infertility was one of them. Um, I was in a relationship for six years before I met my husband. Um, And he looked really good on paper. This person Mm, looked mm -hmm. very good on paper. Um, You know, high-powered attorney, made a lot of money, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, And that relationship dissolved. And so, like, again, I had, like, another awakening of what I think, how I think things should go is not actually what, like, in my best interest, you know, mm-hmm. the image, the image of what I think my life should be like can really like, again, drag you. It's like a freight yes. train, yes. you know, like Which you're just comes back getting to, dragged. That reminds me of grief like that. Cause like, I remember somebody recently told me like, Oh, well, when you end a romantic relationship or a friendship, that's a grief, which I was like, Whoa, I've never put those two together. And I think that it's again, this control of like, that's not what I thought my life was going to be like. I mean, we talk about in the infertility world of like, you grieve what you life, what you thought your life was going to be, you know, I'm almost 40. And we're hoping for one kid. And like, it's, that's not how I thought my life was going to be like. And that's a hard, it's been hard for me to wrap my head around. And it's kind of funny, because recently, with this um, last transfer with our surrogate, I have been I had like a meltdown a couple of weeks ago and um, my husband and I, we don't fight often. And we, something that we've been trying to do is I want an outdoor bathtub. We have the outdoor bathtub. We just, he's got to build this gorgeous, I don't know, thing around it. Oh, that's so Chico. It's so Chico. <laughs> yes, it is. It totally is. And oh, great. Um, the other night, it was the day that we had gotten the, I received an email from the clinic saying, we, these are the tentative transfer dates. And I was like, oh, yay. And then six hours later, we're crawling into bed. And I was like, Brad, we need to build the um, bathtub immediately. And he was like, what? Like, we got the bathtub. Like, there was a couple other projects in the works. And I instantly lost it. 
And he was like, I feel like this isn't about the bathtub. But I was like, oh, <laughs> yes, yes. I was like, yes, yes, it is. You have no clue what I'm feeling. Oh, Brad <laughs> coming in for the kicker. Yes. Wow. Yes. And I was like, yes. I need, I was like, well, I want to, because in my mind, the bathtub is something we can do and we can have a feasible outcome. We're going to finish it. I'll be able to use it. It's going to be what I, you know, even if it's not what I think it is, it's going to be better and it's going to have an ending point. And that's not what infertility is. And mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the bathtub represents like something bigger, yes. you know, like it is a symbol. <laughs> it is the masked symbol of control. Yes, absolutely. In a way. Mm-hmm. And my therapist was like, okay, well, here's the deal. Let's work on some things you can control that aren't like the bathtub because my husband's still working on other projects. And going back to like cleaning and things like that, she's like, cleaning's a good one because it's like very instant satisfaction feeling. It's mm-hmm. also people like the way that looks. It's not like, whoa, Carrie's all of a sudden into like, drag racing cars or something not that that's bad but like it's not out of the ordinary (laughs) and and here's like just to even counterpoint that even cleaning never stays the same (laughs) for too long (laughs) that's real that's so real (laughs) like I mean, eventually more dishes pile up (laughs) and you have to go back and do the dishes again. You know, so like it really is just like grasping at small tender moments of like, ah, yes, illusion of control. Yes. And like and I think that's why it's important to have this illusion, but also be know that like it's not real. And that's like a balancing act that, again, I work through a lot in therapy, but like I can actively do these things to make my life feel like I'm in control. Even though I'm not, I still read books about how, like, what happens when we die? And no one is telling me that's true or not. So, (laughs) Well, and I think this is, that's like the biggest ultimate fear. Like, that's where we all, where everything kind of boils down to is the fear of death. Yes. You know? This is going to lead to that, and that's going to lead to this, and I'm going to die. You and know? Then, and then what? And it's like, is there a what? Is there a then? Like, what, you know? And there's no there's no real evidence. I mean, yes, there are stories, but there's no, like, oh, I've experienced this, and that's what happened. Even though they've interviewed people that have done that, I haven't experienced it. Right. Right. Um. Yes. Oh. Here, here to all of this. Cleaning and death. <laughs> I'm changing the title of the episode to death and cleaning. <laughs> and why the two are related. They sure are. <laughs> um, what would you say to your younger self regarding the future and the picture they have in their head? Um, I... I don't want to be super cliche, but I guarantee I would say go find Brad sooner. We always say that. I wish I would have found him oh, sooner. Oh, that's great. That's <laughs> a great one. Like that was part of our vows is we were like, fuck, we wish we would have found each other sooner, but that's okay. On a lighter note or heavier one, I don't know how you feel about it. Um, I would want to remind myself that I am enough just as I am. Because that's something that I continue to tell myself daily. And of looking back have struggled with. And I think that I was always searching for someone to validate me when I didn't know how to validate myself, especially like in my 20s. And I think that's an important part of your 20s of like dating different people, trying different jobs, traveling different places. But knowing that like, if you ended up on a hill in a shack by yourself, you'd be okay. And really giving myself that validation, because I have spent a lot of my time looking for it. Mm. And I guarantee if 20-year-old me or 16-year-old me would have been like, don't fucking tell me what to do, that would have been my response. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I can so relate to that because I feel like there's there's this thing wrapped in my identity and my worth, and it equates to how productive I am. 
you know, like, am I a productive member of society? You know, am I, and and even on a micro level, how productive was I today? Mm -hmm. You know, what did I do? What did I check off the list? And sort of, you know, that translating to how worthy I am as a person. It's a very dangerous place to go. It's a slippery slope. And as a young woman, it's a, it was really difficult for me to like see my way around it. Like I dated this guy for like six or seven years. He wasn't a bad person, but he didn't really bring a lot of greatness into my life. And I remember when I broke up with him, so many people in my life were like, oh, thank God. And I was like, really? No one said anything. Y'all seemed to like him. And they're like, well, he wasn't the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's exactly what happened to me with that six-year relationship. That's why I'm laughing. People were like, oh, thank God. Thank you. I was like, like, what? Yeah, exactly. Why didn't you ever say anything? But, you know, granted, if they even had said something, I probably wouldn't have listened to them. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. I would have, again, my whole, my family still teases me of Carrie's like, don't tell me what to do. You don't know me. I do what I want. Like, that's a very Carrie thing. And gosh, 20-year-old Carrie. Again, I was stupid, but we're supposed to be at some points. You know, you're supposed to, I mean, I didn't like make horrible decisions, but you're supposed to make those mistakes. And because at least with me, like when I met Brad, I was like, oh, this is what people write books about and stuff. Like not that other relationship, this relationship to Mm. where like when someone looks at you, you're like, oh yeah, I didn't see that like twinkle before. Mm. And it wasn't awful. Again, it was like, eh, but it's different. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, Carrie, I could talk to you for hours. Hours! I could talk to you for hours and hours. Um, But as we, you know, kind of wind down here, you have a coaching business in which you kind of coach people through this stuff. I do. Um, How can people, like, you know, track you down and learn more about death and cleaning? (laughs) (laughs) Ever. I've got some great death meditation and some great cleaning tips. <laughs> can all, it could all go in the, together. Um, I'm on Instagram at Blooming with Carrots, mainly where you can find me. Uh, through there, uh, you can email me. You can also go to my website, bloomingwithcare.com, where I have an online course. And I'm kind of revamping my coaching a bit where I'm just kind of updating it. And I work on a lot with what you can control while you're feeling out of control. And we will absolutely discuss that it's not real, but as human beings, we like to have things in labels and boxes and uh, we could pretend that we do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, yes. And we work with like making specific goals specified, um, specific to what you need and check those boxes off, label those boxes, but also while being like, gosh, I really want to be a mom. And I'm having a hard time with that because for so long I needed that, that exact thing. And I have come to the space in my life where I finally feel worthy enough without a baby while we're still trying to have a baby, which is an interesting space to be in. I never saw that coming. Wow. Carrie. And you also have a podcast out, right? Well, it's on. It's being edited. Uh, We are in the process of getting this podcast out called Big Bold Quitters. Uh, Myself and Ashley Fina, who is also a coach, and we talk about why quitting is important. And especially so because, and it kind of goes along with this of like, in my life, I grew up as quitting was not like a good thing. Like, I remember I signed up for piano lessons and oof, did I hate it? And I was like, <laughs> that sucks. You still got to finish it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> but it's, it can be a good thing. Like, I, I was a teacher for 10 years and 
I quit about two years ago and I'm actually going back into education. I just accepted a new job, but it is part-time. It is exactly what I want to do with kids. I am kind of my own boss. And when it was presented to me, I was like, I'm only going to do it with like this criteria. And it was like, they were like, okay, we'll do it. And I thought, wow, I didn't know that I could say that. And I know that I don't want, I don't want to be in a traditional classroom setting, at least right now. I'm not going to say not forever, but um, it feels nice to be able to like have quit that. Teaching was really difficult for me to quit, but then to be able to come back and be like, well, I'm good with kids. So like, I can still do this, but like on my own terms, people. Mm, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. So part-time job and what's the name of your podcast again big, big bold quitters and big, you can find bold us- quitters okay yes, big bold quitters and you can find us on instagram as well thank you so much for coming on the show today carrie oh my yeah. gosh if, if there was a live studio audience i just would like you know hold out my hand and big <laughs> big applause for carrie everybody well thank you for bringing me on and i again love what you bring to our community and it's I feel like you're one of those, I don't want to get all gushy, but I will. I feel like you're like one of those like special, unique souls because to be real, I used to have a, I mean, also I'm in a different space. I used to have a hard time seeing a mom with a baby, but Mm -hmm. you and June are like this bubble balloon fill of joy to where I'm like, oh no, like there's still greatness in that. And I feel like a I feel like a lot of people feel that way about you and it is not always received. Also, I'm in my blinders. I don't live in my own world and I'm like, Millie's the best. (laughs) But I know that I'm not the only one that feels that. So I also want to thank you for what you bring to, to our community. I think it's really amazing. Oh, Carrie. (laughs) Thank you. Those are really kind words. I really appreciate it. And I, I, um, this community has been so wonderful and I, I really feel like there's so I've been given so much like freely, you know? Um, I think a big part of that is because you're authentic. At least that's what it feels like. You're you. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I feel like there's new layers. There's always new layers of authenticity to be revealed in this journey. And I, and I also just, um, and I gravitate towards other people too, and I of uh, that are authentic like yourself, and Thank that's you. why like I just love talking to you. So, Same. and hopefully we'll get to see each other someday in real life. Yes, <laughs> I see yes. that happening. We, we talked about it the first time you were on the show, and we have to make it happen now. Yeah. yeah. All right, girl. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week.